0: Welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Erin Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver.
1: And I'm Kate Gretzinger in Bluff, Utah. On the show today, we're talking about land acknowledgments. You've probably heard them before at events and conferences. Deb Holland even delivered one at the Boston Marathon last year. But is there a right way and a wrong way to acknowledge indigenous land? And how can we make sure they're not just window dressing? Rosie Thunderchief is an indigenous woman based in Albuquerque who is descended from multiple tribes. She works for the Ancestral Lands Conservation Corps as an administrative manager and has served as an unofficial land acknowledgements advisor to the Valle de Oro National Wildlife Refuge, which we featured in a previous episode of The Landscape.
0: I'm really excited to hear from Rosie, but before we jump into that conversation, let's do the news. There hasn't been a ton of news since you last heard from us last week, but we are pretty excited about a new piece of legislation aimed at improving outdoor recreation in the West. It's called the Rural Outdoor Investment Act, or ROI Act, because all good bills need a good acronym. The bill would make $50 million a year available for small towns to build outdoor infrastructure like trails, campgrounds, and boat ramps, and help communities develop economic development plans focused on outdoor recreation. The bill has support from the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, which is a coalition of industry trade groups. They say it'll help rural communities deal with the influx of tourism and recreation that they have seen since the beginning of the pandemic. And the best news is this bill seems to have a decent shot of passing, and maybe quickly. Senators Michael Bennett from Colorado, along with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, are co-sponsoring the bill. And they want to attach it to a larger package that reauthorizes the Economic Development Administration that is up in March. So we will keep our eye on this bill for you and keep you posted.
1: Rosie Thunderchief lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and currently works with the Ancestral Lands Conservation Corps. She also organized the first Indigenous Peoples Day commemoration at Valle de Oro Wildlife Refuge, where she served as an AmeriCorps VISTA intern. We're so excited to have you here, Rosie. Thank you for being on the podcast.
2: I'm supremely honored to be here with you all today. Thank you for the invite.
1: So, um, you're a really interesting person, and I don't want to try to introduce you any more than I already have. So, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your um, tribal affiliations and maybe how you got into conservation work?
2: Oh, yeah, it's a shedina'e, a do shik'e, sh'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e'e' Hani dineh bashish chin, Kintuchini Dasha Che Ado Raboho dine, Adoshayan ado Dashanale, Adol Hochang Dine Dash Je, Ado Lakot Dine Dash e Bhdil Dasanil Dishidishy, Adiatoshagan, Abukirki denasha, Tiwa territory denasha akot kot ego at San Ishli Sha' Rosie Thunder Chief in Good afternoon good morning, good evening, wherever you are in time and space that uh, you are listening to this podcast. <laughs> my name is Rosie Thunderchief. I am born Diné. That means my mom is a Navajo woman and thus I am a Navajo woman. I am born for Pawnee, Arapaho, and Cheyenne. That is my paternal lineage. I was adopted Ho-Chunk at the age of 12, and that is how it is. I came to carry the name Thunder Chief, and I was raised oglala changu lakota I am a multi-tribal, multicultural cultural person um, living in the urban area of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I respectfully acknowledge my own ancestors and the ancestors of this land, Tiwa Territory. Although it is not my ancestral homeland, it is the land that I have come to call home. And that's sort of my indigenous introduction. I am also a, a mother. It's very important to my identity. I am an artist, a poet, and currently, it is true, I am working with Ancestral Lands Conservation Corps. I am their administrative manager. I started my journey with Ancestral Lands as a an AmeriCorps Tribal Vista, uh, a steward placed there through Ancestral Lands. Um, at Valle de Oro National Wildlife Refuge. And it's really the place where all of my worlds kind of came together and led to this journey of land acknowledgement that I'm really excited to share with you all today.
1: In keeping with the theme of this episode, is there, is there a land acknowledgement that you'd like to do? Or um, I know you've already gotten some in there already.
2: I guess I would like to say what brought me here today is kind of a journey I started at, at Valle de Oro teaching land acknowledgement. Teaching the Refuge how to acknowledge the ancestral lands that they're on. Because the Refuge has partnerships with Conservation Corps, I was introduced to Rocky Mountain Youth Corps. And Rocky Mountain Youth Corps um, has also been an instrumental part of this process of learning and practicing land acknowledgement. So I want to acknowledge them as well for their contributions. Land acknowledgement is something that I teach at a very introductory level. And what I have come to find is that my approach to land acknowledgement is a bit unique. Land acknowledgement for me is not so much a statement, but more of a way of life. And so when I teach land acknowledgement, my aim is to teach from an Indigenous-centered methodology of what it means to exist, to take up space, um, how to live authentically, how to acknowledge your own identity and the relationality that that brings with it to the land and our relational accountability to our ancestors, to each other in this shared space, with always the goal of unity. The goal is to unify as human beings because the issues that we're facing today, climate change, it affects all life on earth. And the only way that we're going to make a difference is to come together. But we have to do it in a really authentic way. And so it's a—it's really a practice in authenticity. It's a practice in courage and vulnerability. And I'm very conscious of the space that we create when, when we give a land acknowledgement. I've heard different folks do land acknowledgements. And to me... At its very basic, land acknowledgement is like knocking on a door before you open it. You know, it's a practice in courtesy. It's a practice of respect, of recognition. And I've heard it done really beautifully, really touching, really heartfelt, really in a way that makes me feel as an Indigenous person seen, valued, appreciated, acknowledged, respected, recognized. But I've also heard it in a way that is really divisive and painful and hurtful and
0: can you can you give us an example there what makes for a successful respectful versus a divisive land acknowledgment
2: It's kind of hard to explain it's more of an energetic thing that I feel when someone talks the energy that they carry the mindset that they're in the, the level of healing that they are on in their own healing journey will inform me through their words, their own connection to their own identity and their own connection to the land.
0: Is it fair to call that intentionality?
2: Yes, And no <laughs> um, It is about intention, but it, underneath that intention, I think is is the like the evolution of their healing journey. You see, for me, land acknowledgement is a healing practice. It is about opening space to create healing. It is about opening space, creating the conditions for healing to occur. And if we don't have that intention in mind when we open that space, when we open our mouth to say those words, what comes out is anger and frustration and grief unresolved grief, unresolved sorrow, pain, and and not just individual pain, but intergenerational pain. And this is the part where I start to deviate from sort of mainstream rhetoric around decolonization because my goal and my background and my teachings is all about healing and unity. And there's a way if folks just come out and say, you know, this is Tiwa territory, like with anger and like, like you don't know who you are and you don't know where you are and you need to acknowledge that. And that's all valid. I have to say it's all valid, that anger is valid. It's, it's justified anger. But for me on my spiritual journey and in my spiritual teachings, it's about directing the energy and the movement and the mindset of the whole towards healing. And it's, it can be a dangerous place to be and it, it, it's very challenging to hold that space and to create that space in a way that's authentic, that holds myself in integrity, but also creates, hopefully, an inspiration, an encouragement for folks to begin their own lifelong journey if they haven't already, or to deepen their own spiritual and healing journey through the practice of land acknowledgement.
1: Could you tell me a little bit about your journey that you mentioned, learning about land acknowledgements and sort of Take us back to where you started and maybe even um, the first land acknowledgement that you did, if you remember that, or one of the early ones, and how how your thinking has changed since then.
2: Sure. I was here at the refuge, at Valle de Oro National Wildlife Refuge, and someone in staff meeting mentioned wanting to learn about land acknowledgement. And I had recently graduated UNM with my bachelor's degree in Native American studies, with a concentration in leadership and building Native nations, where we learned all about decolonization methodologies. And I felt that I had both the educational background and the life experience to be able to lead that conversation and to create a training around it. Um, one of the things that I did to prepare for that training was create a local Indigenous people's history for. Specifically, this land on the refuge, and some some of those things I knew, um, like Coronado and Oniate, of course, the Pueblo Revolt. But what I learned through that process was that the pathway or the route of the Long Walk that the Navajo people were forced upon actually walked right through the land that is currently Valle de Oro National Wildlife Refuge, and it was at that moment that I that I realized that my ancestors who were on that walk, that long walk from Dene Bekea to Fort Sumner and back, very likely walked through the very land that I'm sitting and working on right now. <laughs> and it was really powerful for me, like really reaffirming, like this is where I am meant to be. You know, I did not come to, conservation work from a conservation background. That is not my educational background. It is not my community-based background. My background is in native healing, cultural healing, indigenous methodologies of cultural healing, um, and that spiritual approach to healing. Um, And I came to it from a health and well-being lens And I think what drew me to Ancestral Lands and what keeps me here is our mission statement, which is leading our nations back to ecological and cultural well being. So I felt that my background in cultural healing practices um, would fit really well here. And and through land acknowledgement, I found that connection between ecological well being, cultural well being, cultural healing, and just walking my own individual healing journey as a human being.
0: As someone who came into the conservation world relatively recently, who did not come from that sort of conservation academic background that we see a lot, what is it that you want folks in the conservation world to see or understand as they work with tribes, as they work with indigenous-led groups? Um, what is it that that you would like folks who've maybe been in the conservation world for 20, 30 years to understand or start to internalize in their work?
2: I would start with all land is ancestral land. All land in America, North and South and Central America, is Indigenous ancestral land, Native American land. For me, land acknowledgement is a practice in critical thinking and recognizing that conservation itself is necessary because colonization happened before 1492 indigenous peoples were living sustainably on this land and through the process of colonization there was removal of the people from the land and that removal of indigenous people from the land removed the stewards from the land and what we think of as wilderness is not really wilderness. It's uncared for land that is a result of having its human caretakers removed from it. Conservation is a, is a problem of colonization. And I would say the answer or a possible solution would be to return to an indigenous-centered approach to caring for the land. And in that, there is so much knowledge and wisdom Traditional ecological knowledge, indigenous knowledge systems, ways of living and sustaining life for all nations. You know, we've lived in harmony with this land for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. You know, that knowledge is still here with us. We are still here. Indigenous people are still here. And we have a lot to offer. But at the same time, You have to know how to ask. And I see a lot of, and this isn't unique to the conservation world, but a lot of asking Indigenous people for Indigenous knowledge without reciprocity. Reciprocity is a standard in Indigenous communities. If you're going to ask for something, you have to offer something in return. Whether that's time, energy, resources, a gift, there has to be an equivalent exchange of energy for for that knowledge shared and dispersed and then an implementation of that knowledge because um it's not wisdom until we put it into practice, right? Um so that's what I would share.
0: Thank you for, for that answer.
1: Yeah, that was a beautiful answer. I know a lot of our listeners are also probably here because they want to know how they can get improve their land acknowledgments or start doing land acknowledgments. So I w- am wondering if you'll go back and you mentioned you put together a, a bit of a workshop um, or some sort of workshop, and I'd love to hear what advice you share. Um, I imagine you probably can't do the whole workshop with us here, but what you would say to people who are interested in getting started with land acknowledgement and how to do that.
2: Absolutely. I, first and foremost, am a Diné woman, a Navajo woman, and as such, I introduced myself in Diné Bazad. When I did. So earlier I introduced my four clans, which are my four grandparents, my maternal grandmother, my paternal grandmother, my maternal grandfather, and my paternal grandfather. For me personally, my identity also includes my adopted dad, who's Ho Chunk, and my my Hunkas, my ceremonially adopted families of Lakota. So I have additional folks that I include in my introduction. But when I teach land acknowledgement, I encourage folks to map out their own ancestry, their four grandparents. What is their name? What nation are they from? And what hometown, if you know the hometown, and what language they spoke. I'm really mindful when we do this practice because I learned that not everyone knows their grandparents. Not everyone knows their parents. I myself am adopted, but I have the blessing to know both of my fathers, um, so I can identify a little bit with that journey in our healing journey. But this is why I talk about it as a healing journey, right? Learning who your parents are, what their names were, their nations, where they came from, and then your grandparents, and and if you can go back further than that, that's so awesome. Your great grandparents, you know, what generation are you? Um, here on the stateside? How did your family get here? Because when you start looking into your own family history, you will find those stories that will lead you to understand who you are today, how it is you came to be in this land. And that will open the door for you to find your own authentic healing journey with the land and the people.
1: And how does that translate into the actual land acknowledgement that, that we here, where people are talking about the land um, where they're either speaking from or standing on? That's a great question.
2: Um, Again, land acknowledgement is a practice in critical thinking. As an Indigenous person who is displaced, I know that I am currently living in Albuquerque, which is a city. It's an urban area. It is off my home reservation. And so even though I'm an indigenous person, I acknowledge that this is not my ancestral homeland. This is the ancestral homeland of the Tiwo Pueblo people. Um, And so I myself carry myself and conduct myself as a guest in this territory, like I'm in someone else's house. And so I, whenever we hold open these spaces, if there is a Pueblo person, and especially a Tiwo Pueblo person present, I will defer to them to do the land acknowledgement for us in their language. In the absence of an Indigenous person present whose ancestors are from this land that we're in today, I will step up as an Indigenous person. And I would encourage you to open space for an Indigenous person to hold the land acknowledgement and speak. If there is not an Indigenous person present, I think it's still really powerful to acknowledge that we are not Indigenous to this land, that our ancestors came from somewhere else. And through that history, is a very violent history. And although we're not bringing this stuff up to create more division, we are absolutely holding ourselves responsible and accountable to do better, to live a better way, to be better guests in this territory, because Indigenous people are still alive today. And That's the biggest thing for my land acknowledgement. The way I teach it is that we indigenous people are still here. Maybe not all of us. We've lost a lot of folks along the way, but we are still here. We're still alive and we're simply looking for respect and recognition that we exist, that we're here, that we're alive.
1: Hmm. I think that leads into the question I want to ask you. There's a lot of talk on... Line And I'm sure in person, but I'm only seeing it online about the sort of performative nature of land acknowledgements, um, especially I think when white people do them. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that, because it seems like you, you do believe in land acknowledgements. And I'd love to hear just your thinking on on whether they're performative, sometimes, or not.
2: I have definitely noticed a lot of criticism Around land acknowledgements, I've also noticed a kind of decline in their popularity due to the criticism, and I lament that a lot. I think land acknowledgement is necessary. It is only a first step, but it is a first step. I encourage everyone, everywhere, to do a land acknowledgement. And this is the part where Rosie is going to deviate a little bit from maybe mainstream rhetoric around land acknowledgement and decolonization. Land acknowledgement, I think we can all agree, is not a check-the-box thing. It's not just a paragraph that you recite monotonously so that you can check the box and say, I did a land acknowledgement. That is not what we are asking. From Rosie's School of Thought, if you want to engage in land acknowledgement as a practice, you have to make it a daily practice. And the way to do that is every morning when you wake up, For example, every morning before I go to work, I smudge myself and I introduce myself to the land. I say, good morning. Good morning, mountains. Good morning, land. Good morning, trees. Good morning, sun. Good morning, sky. Good morning. It is I, your humble granddaughter. Thank you for this day. Another day to live, to love, to learn. Or whatever your little affirmations are. (laughs) You know, it's a practice in cultivating deep relationship with the land around you and opening conversation between yourself and all that exists around you, all the life that exists around you, right? In terms of like really practical practices, I think it can be really challenging to know where to start or how to say or what to say. And if you're in that space where you want to do a land acknowledgement, but you're not really sure what to say or how to say it, my suggestion is to offer a moment of silence. You don't have to say anything. I would like to respectfully acknowledge the land and the people and the history. And I want to be really authentic about it, but I don't know what to say, so we're going to hold a moment of silence. Start simple. Land acknowledgement should absolutely be something that evolves as you evolve with your own journey of coming to know your identity, your ancestors, your own relationship with the land, your ancestors' relationship with the land. And I encourage folks to come up with their own individual land acknowledgement statement. If you're looking for resources on how to do that, I recommend United States Department of Arts and Culture, USDAC. Um, they have some great resources on our native land guide, a little video. And there's a Lakota woman that in that video that talks about how land acknowledgement makes her feel when she heard it. And if it's done In a good way, let's say, for Indigenous peoples, it, as she describes, peels off a layer of sort of being on guard that we have with us as we carry out into the world. And when someone takes a moment to say, I would like to pause before we start this meeting to respectfully acknowledge that this is Native land, that we are on Native land, and to respectfully acknowledge the Native people of this land, it's like... Oh, they remember me. (laughs) You know, for so long, we've been forgotten. For so long, we've been erased. For so long, we've been swept under the rug. And just that moment, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, is like, wow, people can see me. I'm not invisible, and I don't have to hide anymore. And it's really powerful. It can be really powerful. And it can open conversations, it can tear down walls, it can open hearts for really powerful healing work to happen. That's the goal. That's the purpose.
1: Thank you. That's really beautiful and I think easy to grasp. So I appreciate that answer. I think that's also a pretty good place to leave this unless there's anything I've forgotten to ask or should have asked that you'd like to share.
2: I think that's a good place. Land acknowledgement is such a dense topic. Um, It's a multi-layered practice. Um, And that's why I encourage folks to just start small. Say hello out loud if you're brave enough. Hello, land. Hello, mountains. Hello, river. Hello, sky. Hello, sun. Hello, trees. Hello, birds. Start there. And as you begin that practice, it will evolve If you don't know the indigenous people, just say indigenous people or native people, you know, not everyone knows, you know, it's, I really have to remain in a state of non-judgment when we're entering into this practice, because we have to acknowledge that the lack of knowledge was systematic and intentional, you know, so we have to be non-judgmental with each other when we enter into these practices. Um. And that's my personal criticism of all the criticisms around land acknowledgement. There is no one way to do it. It's kind of like prayer in that way. There's no one way to pray. There's no right or wrong way to pray. Just that you do it. And that's why it's a practice in courage. It's why it's a practice in vulnerability. You know, it takes a lot of courage to step up and say something like that in front of people. Um, It puts you in a very vulnerable place, you know take heart and encouragement that you're doing the right thing and that if people are criticizing you, then you're probably doing something right, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Well, Rosie, thank you so much for sharing with us. I think these are important conversations to have and um, there's not always the space to have them in our busy lives. So I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me. (laughs)
1: Instead of good news, we're going to highlight an article that was recently published in Outside Magazine. The article is about an ongoing effort to map the ancestral lands of indigenous peoples around the world called Native Land Digital. You may have come across this map while trying to write your own land acknowledgments. Instead of straight lines, it's covered in colored shapes representing historic tribal homelands, which are superimposed over the shapes of the continents. You can find it online at native-land.ca. I remember seeing it on the internet sometime last year and being really impressed at the amount of information it contained, but also a bit suspicious of its accuracy and scope. The article gets at those concerns. It addresses the challenges that come with trying to represent so much history on one map, and it also asks the question of who gets to decide what belongs on the map. We'll drop a link to the story in the show notes in case you want to check it out.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Landscape. Do let us know what you think about the podcast or send us an email with suggestions for future topics or guests. That email address is podcast at westernpriorities.org. You can also find me and Kate both on Twitter. And we'd love it if you left us a review wherever you are listening to us right now. That is the best way for new listeners to find us. I'm Aaron Weiss.
1: And I'm Kate Gretzinger. On behalf of the whole team at the Center for Western Priorities, thanks for listening to The Landscape.